Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Let's, uh, let's get into, into the Word this evening. And I just want to start with a little bit of a preamble. Um, and I'm, I'm sort of, in some ways, bouncing off some of the things Pastor Andreas has been sharing uh, sort of prophetically about the time and season we are in. You know, that there are, are there's the potential for tough and difficult days ahead. And when we look at the world around us, when we, we put on the news, when we engage with with society and culture around us, we realize that we really are in very dark and challenging times. I mean, right now the news is just awash with stories of what's going on in the Middle East, in Israel and the Palestinians, and Iran is now joined and giving their support for Palestine, and you've got the West and NATO, and they're giving their support to Israel, and we've got this very, very volatile, difficult situation, which just has the potential to spill over We've almost forgotten that there's still a war going on in Ukraine. We hardly hear very much about thousands that have died in Afghanistan with those earthquakes. And, and, and on and on and on the news sort of, sort of goes with, with difficult things, with tragedies. And, you know, it, it does make us wonder, Lord, are these, are these these end times we've been hearing about? When you said there will be wars and rumors of wars and there will be disasters and there's all these things going on. And, uh, you know, we, we wonder. And then not even just that, we, we look at the political situation, we see the divisiveness and the division. Everywhere we look, everyone's got an agenda and the left is becoming far more left and the right is becoming far more right and more radical. And it seems like the divides are getting wider. The ability to come together and have good, decent conversations so much more difficult. We're living in a time where it feels like ideologies and agendas are being pushed on us all the time. That there's this thrust and this flow trying to, to get us to shift, uh, you know, and, and, and really hostility towards our God, hostility towards our faith is growing and growing to a level that most of us in our lifetime have never really seen or experienced before. Perhaps in years gone by, it was worse, but we've become so accustomed to the ease and the freedom of expression and movement and, and the ability to worship and express views, scriptural views with a measure of authority, that now that all of those things are being challenged, we find ourselves in a difficult place. You know, there's, there's these, like I said, these ideologies and agendas that are being pushed that are calling good evil and calling evil good and really mixing the two. And it's becoming more and more difficult in some ways to even tell the difference anymore. And, and it becomes very divisive and very difficult. We have our own personal challenges. Some of us are really being struggled or struggling with our health, with health issues, others with relational issues, others with work and finding employment or struggling with an environment that they're working in. And, there's all these things that are coming on. Yes, Johan, thank you. It is still recording. Uh, it didn't stop the last time. So, yes, I am. Thank you for checking on me. Uh, there's all these things going on. 
And the truth is this, if we focus on these things, on these macro things, on all these difficulties, if, if that is what's really gripping our attention, if that's what we are giving our attention to, it will be very easy for our hearts to be burdened and even overcome by fears, by anxieties. And what do fears and anxieties do? They intimidate us. They cause us to shrink back. They cause us to hold back, to hesitate, to be less willing to give of ourselves, to share of our opinion, to reach out across the divide and help others because we're careful though if we say the wrong thing, if we do the wrong thing in the wrong way, what could happen? But in the midst of all of these things, in the midst of all of the stuff, God calls you and I as his children to have a heavenly perspective. You see, God sees things as they really are. God's ways, Isaiah 55 says, are not our ways. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so far are his ways and his thoughts above our ways and our thoughts. And so God has a perspective of you and he has a perspective of the situation that is really, really different. He does not deny the realities that we face, nor should we. But what, what, what our perspective should be is that instead of drawing hope, expectation, determination from these, these things, in other words, how will this determine my future? How will these things affect me? Looking at all the natural things, God calls us to put our hope somewhere else, to put our expectation elsewhere in the triumphant resurrection of Jesus from the grave that gives us a hope that is eternal, even in the midst of the most adverse circumstances. You see, I, I find something really interesting. You know, what I really believe God would say to you and I, and my, my intention today in ministering with you is to encourage you and to in some ways put you in your place now when we say i'm going to put somebody in their place what we generally mean by that statement is i'm going to remind them where they fall in on the pecking order i'm going to remind them of their level of experience versus mine i'm going to put them down a few notches uh, and i'm going to assert some kind of influence over them whereas when God puts you and I in our place, instead of trying to put us down, he lifts us up. When God puts us in our place, he picks us up, he cleanses us, he dusts us off, he washes us, he ministers to us, and then he seats us in heavenly places at the right hand of God in Christ Jesus. He lifts us and elevates us above the circumstances into his victory over them. And he brings us to a place of peace, of hope, of faith and strength in the midst of all of these things so that we can live life in this world, but not of this world. We can live a life that is subject not to everything that goes on around us, but subject primarily to that which goes on inside of us, within us, as the word of God and the spirit of God ministers to us and strengthens us. So in order to navigate these challenges that we're facing, we need to begin looking at things from Christ's perspective. And that's what I want to do tonight. And we're going to look at uh, the first portion of this of Matthew chapter five. Now, while you're turning there, I encourage you to read with me. We're going to read quite a few verses, the first 16 verses. Matthew chapter five is the beginning of the Sermon of the Mount. Sermon of the Mount is five, six and seven in Matthew. And many people call it the kingdom manifesto. It is Jesus 
sharing and preaching and telling the people his perspective and the way he sees things. And so starting from verse 1, I'm reading from the New King James Version of Matthew chapter 5. It says, And seeing the multitudes, he, Jesus, went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and taught them, because it's very difficult to teach with your mouth closed, saying, Number one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, we're going to read this verse, this word blessed many times. And I want to give you a little bit more insight into this word blessed. Because it's a Greek word and it's the word makarios. And the word makarios, our idea of blessing sometimes means that God will add something to you. Maybe there's a gift in it. Maybe there's, you know, like provision either of substance or just a special grace at a certain time. This word makarios is is a big word, not just because it's it's long. It's a it, it it means a lot. There's a lot of weight on it. It conveys the idea of being blessed to overflowing, of having all sufficiency, of having wholeness, of having everything that is required, lacking nothing. And so, when we read this word blessed, I want you to understand the the state of wholeness, lacking nothing, abundant. Abundance in terms of provision and sufficiency, complete. And when we think of that, we would think normally of somebody who has no problems, who is whole in his body, who is whole in his mind, whose relationships are well, who has no needs, all his needs are met. And that's the idea that this Macarius word conveys all sufficiency, in a sense, lacking nothing. And so let's start marrying that understanding with the words that Jesus is using and who he is calling blessed. The first person we see here is the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit simply means those whose reliance is on God. They don't depend on themselves, on their own gifting, on their own strength, on their own ability. Their dependence and their reliance is on God. They are poor in spirit. They don't, they don't place confidence in themselves or abilities, but their confidence is in the Lord. And he says, Blessed are those, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, I, I this year was an interesting time for me. A lot, I have believed by faith, based on this verse, that those who go through real loss experience a measure of comfort from the Lord that is unique to that time and season. Uh, it's, a, it's a sense of his closeness and his nearness that is unusual and very special to bring comfort in times of mourning and this year having lost my dad i i can confirm that that is so true that as we mourn and as we pour out our pain in the presence of the lord he comes with a very special comfort that strengthens that uplifts that makes whole and god says blessed with all sufficiency with everything they need are those who mourn for they will be comforted in other words by me personally Blessed are the meek. The meek are those who are teachable. They're, they're, they're uh, willing to learn, willing to yield, willing to be taught. They're not hard-headed. They don't insist on their own ways. But those who are meek, the Bible says, are blessed, and they shall inherit the earth. Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. 
In other words, those who truly desire to walk in the ways of God will have that desire satisfied. God will grant it, not as a once-off thing, that we can walk in the righteousness of God, that we can experience the nearness and the joy of knowing that we are on the path He has set for us to walk. Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. That idea of mercy, of releasing, of not treating others as perhaps they deserve, means that we have the fulfilling wonder of not being treated as we deserve. Blessed are the merciful, they will obtain mercy. And in receiving that mercy, they will have that all-sufficiency of knowing that despite their shortcomings, despite their sins, despite their insecurities and inadequacies, there is a forgiveness and there's a mercy over their lives. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, in our new covenant context, as we look at that from this side of the cross, blessed are those whose hearts have been purified by the blood of the Lamb. We have the opportunity to see God almost face to face, as you will. Though now through a veil, Paul says, we get to behold him and ever increasing levels of glory. We get greater levels of intimacy with the whole person of the Holy Spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Remember that Jesus, when he came, he was given the ministry of reconciliation to make peace between God and man. And the way that he did that was by taking on the wrath of God, the punishment for man's sin in order to bring peace. And God has given you and I the same ministry of reconciliation to reconcile people to God. Then he goes on to say, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted. They don't seem to go together. But he even goes on to say, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you, when they say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Hold up here just a second. That's not the kind of thing that makes me want to be glad. Yay! They're, you know, undermining me. They are slandering my name. My reputation's in the toilet. Hooray, hip, hip, hooray. But Jesus is communicating something here. He's saying, in the midst of those things, rejoice in being exceedingly glad for, and here's the reason why, great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so Jesus here is beginning to give us a glimpse. He's saying, if your perspective is simply on the carnal, on the world around you, on this temporal life, then these challenges are going to overwhelm you because then this is all you've got. But if you can look at things from an eternal perspective, knowing that what you endure now will echo into eternity, the way you endure it, the seed you sow, the attitude you uh, you present and that you live out will have an effect on this world, but it will also echo into eternity. So, I mean, many of these things, we would think of problems, you know, when I'm mourning, when, you know, when I'm being persecuted, when things are not going well with me, when 
when all of these things are happening, I, I do not necessarily, I consider myself a victim. I consider myself aggrieved. I consider myself, uh, you know, under suffering. But yet God says, no, in the midst of all of these things, think of yourself as blessed. With everything that you need, lacking nothing, having the full measure of my presence with you, because I am everything you need. I am all you need. You see, Jesus never promises to deliver us from these trials. <laughs> Some of us think, oh, I'm going to give my life to Jesus and he's going to sort everything out and all my problems are going to go away. My addictions are going to fall off like that. And the things I've been struggling with are going to change and my relationships are going to, and suddenly money's going to come rolling in. And Jesus says, no, doesn't work that way. Sometimes it does. I mean, there are people who give their lives to the Lord and have radical transformations and praise God for those. I mean, God is still the God of miracles. He's still the God of suddenly. He's still the God of breakthroughs. But that is not the place in which all of us live all of our lives, even those who have that kind of conversion and those experiences with God. Enjoy that for a moment. But then there's the, the life goes on. And we need to walk in the principles of God. We need to walk in the perspectives of Jesus to maintain those things and to keep them active and working. So instead of promising to deliver us from these trials, Jesus rather alludes to the fact that both his glory and our blessing lies in the way in which we navigate and endure them. I want to say that again. God's glory as well as our blessing lies in the way that we navigate these trials, in the way we think about them, in the perspective we embrace concerning them. And, in the, and also Jesus promises that, yes, you're going to go through all of this stuff, but I'm going to go through with you. I'll be right there. I'll jump quickly. We're going to come back to John Matthew 5. John, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. We have it again. Jesus says, while we are here, folks, we are going to have trials. We are going to have sorrows. But take heart. New King James says, be of good cheer. Why? For I have overcome the world. I have overcome this. I am victorious over this. And that, I think sometimes when we have that kind of word, we have this idea that, these things that are trying to push themselves on us, these ideologies, these wars, these pressures, these struggles, Jesus is going to give us some kind of supernatural power. And instead of them dominating us, we're going to dominate over those things. And we are going to start pushing back and we are going to set the agenda and we are going to determine the ideology. But that is just never how the kingdom of God works. Jesus says, I have overcome all of these things and I'm going to show you how to do it. And here is Jesus's way of doing it. Jesus said, I overcame death. I overcame hell. I overcame the grave. I overcame all of the powers of darkness and the forces of wickedness, every single one of them. And I did it by going to a cross and laying down my life. And that is how you will find victory. It's the opposite of what we want to hear. <laughs> but the kingdom of God is this. He who seeks... he." Um, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies and gives up its life, 
it produces a harvest, some 30, 60, 100 fold, if I'm not mistaken. And the, the whole idea behind this thing, Jesus says, what good is it to, to, to gain the whole world and to lose your soul? What good is it to have the influence? What good is it to set, in, set the ideologies and have the wealth and get everything and have your way and assert yourself but lose your soul in the process? The way of the kingdom brings us into a blessing that is beyond your and my natural life here. It is beyond the natural struggles that we have. And the only way to access it is through laying down our lives, being willing to endure these things with grace, with patience, with mercy, as Jesus did. And in so doing, allow that resurrection life that comes from death, that comes from laying down our will, that comes from not resisting and pushing, but trusting. And somehow God, in his miraculous way, in the same way that he resurrected Jesus from the dead, he resurrects, he brings life into, into our situations, into our hearts, and the blessing of his presence, which is all sufficient in the midst of what we're going through. So as we begin to take on this mindset of, hey, God, you actually say we are blessed in the midst of all of these things, even in our deepest, most challenging and darkest times, you promise you are with us. You say that everything we need and all our sufficiency is you and you are, and you are with us. From embracing that mindset, something interesting begins to happen. And so the next verse of Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to go. From verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, Jesus says. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown down or thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Let's just pause for a moment here. Uh, these two verses talk about salt and they talk about light. I want to talk about salt first, but the interesting thing about salt is it is distinctive. You know when something is salty. It's different. It tastes like that. Um, many years ago, somebody played a prank on me, and instead of bringing me a sugar bowl with my tea, they brought me a sugar bowl filled with salt. And I liberally put two teaspoons of salt into my tea, and I can tell you, I knew it was salt. It was really salty. I talk about instant wrinkles. It was awful. But it was it was salty, and it was. And in the day and age that we're talking about here, salt had a number of uses. Number one. It was a preservative. Salt preserved. It prevented rot. It held it back. It presented, prevented the spreading of these things. And so if you think of society, when Jesus says, I am putting you in society just to prevent the rot, to prevent the perversion from spreading, to preserve morality, to keep a standard, that's what I'm sending you there for. Salt also savors. It makes things taste good. Most people under-season their food. Uh, people will tell you these days, you know, you, you must cut down on salt. We, we're putting too much salt in things. There's truth to that, I'm sure. But, hey, you've got to put salt on some stuff. It just tastes lacquer. tastes good. Um, and salt seasons. It makes things taste good. But now, there's also uses in terms of some farming things, I understand. But at the end of the day, salt that is not salty, it's useless. It, but the scripture says it's good for nothing. Now, listen, this is controversial. But hear what Jesus is saying. You call yourself a Christian. That means I'm calling you to be distinctive. I'm calling you to be, I'm not calling you to fit in. 
I'm not calling you to be like the world around you, to think like them, to behave like them. I'm calling you to be different. I'm calling you out from that, to be distinctive in the way that you think, in the way that you do things. And I'm calling you to preserve society and the relationships and morality. And I'm calling you to savor and add the flavor of heaven wherever it is that you are. But if you're not able to do that, if you're not able to preserve things, if you are not able to be distinctive as a Christian, he's saying you're good for nothing. And unfortunately today, the church is filled with many good for nothing Christians. They are no different to the world. They do not savor. They think the same way, though they have Jesus within them. They have not learned how to bear fruit for him. They have not had the full realization of the of the uh, all-sufficiency of Christ in and of themselves. The Bible talks about people who have a form of godliness but deny its power to change them and to make them distinctive. And he actually warns us. He says, stay away from such people. And so Jesus here says, I'm calling you to be salt. And he goes on to say, you are also the light of the world. A city that is on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. You see, what, what does light do? Light does two things primarily. Number one, it reveals. If something is dark, excuse me, you switch on the light, and then you can see it reveals what is there that was previously not visible because of the darkness. But also, a light guides. You're driving home, it's dark, you switch your headlights on. Word of God says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. But I want to just throw in a third one here. And I want you to go back in your, in your imagination with me 2,000 years ago to a time before electricity was, a, you know, before, all, before there were street lights and traffic lights and all these things. And you're a, you're, you're a shepherd and you've been out in the field. And this was just that day when that stubborn sheep went and got lost. And you had to go and find it. And it took you a lot longer than you thought, but eventually you did. But now the sun is setting and it's getting dark. And you, you're making your way home. And the sheep are following you. They're with you, but it's getting really, really dark. And you come over the ridge. And over there is your town. And the reason you know your town is just over there is not because you can see it, but because out of a few windows, you can see a light. And those lights are like beacons that draw us in, that lead that person home. And likewise, you and I are called to be lights, to, to, to reveal what's really going on, to speak truth in love. This is, this is good. This is not good. To, to, to help people see the truth of their situation, our need for a savior, our need for forgiveness. Our role also is to point the way, to guide, to show the way to Jesus but generally, before any of those things happen, our light will be a, our lives ought to be a beacon, a beacon of hope, guiding people and drawing people in to the love and the nature of God that is alive and at work within us. Like a city on a hill, he says, that cannot be hidden. It will draw people. And they'll, they, because there is something distinctive, we don't walk with the same spirit of judgment. We don't walk with the same spirit of complaining and moaning all the time, but we have an attitude that is positive, that is gracious. We forgive people. We suffer long and bear long with them. We, we do things in a way that shines the grace and the loving nature of God and his all-sufficiency. 
Jesus goes on to say, verse 16, Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light so shine. It doesn't say make your light so shine. This isn't something that is contrived. Because it's not just about, okay, I've got to do these things and tick these boxes. What we're really talking down, talking about today is that deep down inside of us, it's not that what we do on the outside, it's who we are becoming on the inside. That the revelation of the Makarios blessing of God that is a part of our lives because of Jesus and his all sufficiency begins to change who we are and emanate from us. God bless you, Peter. It begins to shine because we are different. He is alive and there's a vitality from his spirit. that is causing us to go beyond ourselves in works of, of grace and kindness and mercy. I want to say to you as believers, this is not only our greatest privilege to shine the light of Jesus wherever he placed us, but also it is our greatest responsibility. And that, in some ways, seems daunting. Oh, so, and I think this is where a lot of us get stuck. How do I do this? You know, there's this weight that now comes with it. Oh, you know, how, you know, how do I shine? And what if I get it wrong and I make mistakes? Hey, you will. But I think it's helpful to remember that this is not primarily based on what we do, but it is about who we are becoming. And that is, we are becoming like him. And God tells us that in the midst of all of this darkness, of these things, of these pressures, of the stresses, of the weight of all of these things, he calls us to find in him such a deep peace and all sufficiency and to shine that out and emanate it to the world around us, that, that they will be drawn to it. And he promises that he will help us in this Deuteronomy 31, 6, verse, verse 6 says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Again, a couple of verses later, He says, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The Lord will personally go ahead of you. Now, I don't know what you're dealing with right now. You know, maybe we can zoom this back. Let's get out of the macro the, the big worldwide things, and maybe just make this personal. Maybe make this, however trivial it, trivial it may seem, it's not a world peace problem, but whatever it is you're, you're grappling with right now, with whatever your struggle is right now, God says to you, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. I will personally go ahead of you. I will be with you. I will neither fail you nor abandon you. I'm with you with all my sufficiency. Matthew 28, 20, second part of that verse says this, and be sure of this, Jesus says to his disciples as he commissions them, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so that means this, that, 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 that means Jesus says, I'm going to be with you, be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. I am not going to understand everything that's going on. I'm not going to understand why some things are taking longer. And than I expected. I'm not going to understand always what I'm walking through. And, you know, that, that, that whole question of why, 
You know, even Jesus hanging on the cross says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Even he had whys that were never answered. But you and I have this promise that in the midst of all those questions and those rumblings, we get to know that the all-sufficient one is in us and with us. And so what do we need to do? What ought we to do? We've got to draw instruction and comfort uh, from the word. I'm going to draw from Paul tonight, and we're going to turn now to the book of Ephesians. And uh, we're going to read from the Ephesians chapter 6, talks about the armor of God. Uh, I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. It says this, finally, this is him wrapping up his letter and his encouragement and his exhortation to the Ephesians. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Not your might, not in your handle on the situation, but be strong in him in the midst of the situation. And in his strength, in the midst of what you're going through, how? Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Yes, there are schemes of the devil. Macro schemes and schemes even in, to resist you and your calling in your life. But he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against rulers, politicians, bosses, against the forces or authorities against cosmic powers, uh, sorry, his flesh and blood, but against rulers, against, and what I mean, what he means here by rulers is flesh and blood is the, those people, those, those things that it represent, but there's something beyond this, he says, there's rulers against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, it's good to remember this, <laughs> the problem is not your spouse, it's not your boss, it's not that person and what they said or did. It's not the situation or the circumstance. There is more at play. Things that you and I do not have control over. But there is something that you and I do have control over. And that is what goes on inside of us. It is our perspective. And that is the most important thing. So Paul says, therefore, in other words, even though these things are there, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in this evil day and having done all to stand firm. So Paul is saying here, you are a believer, you are a child of God because of the all sufficiency that is within you. You have the ability to withstand all of these things, all of these things, to withstand them with strength. And you also have the ability to stand firm. So in other words, you're not just withstanding, but losing ground. You are standing firm. Solid, not teetering, not tottering, not just making it, not barely getting by, but standing and standing firm, resisting all of these things. And then he starts telling us about armor. And although he's using the imagery and the analogy of armor that is put on to protect a physical body, the armor that he's talking about here for you and I in relation to especially what we're talking about today is the armor of a mindset of faith in the all-sufficiency of Christ and his presence. And let's read what that seems like. Stand fast, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Listen, folks, 
We can't stop the darts from coming. The enemy's going to throw them, but we have what it takes to quench them. Our faith it says that we'll quench them. That means it's like putting water on it. The dart will come, but the fire will be quenched. It'll be quenched by what? Our faith. In other words, our faith in Jesus can withstand these things. Jesus has overcome. And that faith, when it becomes a reality that he has overcome and therefore he has made us more than conquerors, it means that he has given us the grace to overcome in these situations as well. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. In other words, the way you think. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And he goes on and says a few more things. But what Paul is saying to us here is. There is a place of peace and sufficiency in Christ that enables us in this dark time and in these challenging situations to stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might as we take on his perspective about our lives and also about the situation around us. You know, Pete, Paul got to the point where he said, to love is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, he was so at peace that to live here was to experience Christ in this mortal body and in this age time that we're living in, and to die would be gain for him. He had such an eternal perspective that it didn't matter. I remember years ago, and I remember it's, it's, it, at some point it seemed trivial, but years ago when I was under immense pressure at work, struggling to deal with the stress, I remember sitting one day and praying to the Lord and, you know, it was, uh, he sort of said, Michael, what's the worst case scenario here? You know, everything goes pear-shaped and you lose a lot of money. Are you still going to live? I mean, the worst case scenario is you die. And if you die, you're going to come and be with me. But that's unlikely to happen right now. Worst case scenario is you get into trouble. You lose your job. All right. So what? You think I won't provide for you? You think I won't take care of you? And little by little from that place of, okay, if I'm dying, die, I'm with him. Okay, so, but I'm not dead, but I'm alive. And he's still with me. So let me kind of work through these situations as I have them, but with the fullness of knowledge that your grace with me will enable me to overcome this and to endure this. I realize that sometimes when we hear messages like this, it seems flippant. That's very easy to say, Michael. It's a very different thing when you're enduring the trial. You're right. But faith that is never tested. Is, is you never know if it's true. You never know whether it's strong. You never know what you're made of. It's like a fighter who trains his whole life but never has a fight. He doesn't know what he's made of. He doesn't know what he's able to overcome. He doesn't know if his, if his strength is all theory or if, it, or if there's actually substance to it. And our faith always will be tested. Our faith in Jesus. Our faith in the word of God and what he says, our faith in the leading of the Holy Spirit. But the wonderful thing is that through these tests and trials, God matures our faith. He strengthens us. He brings us from one level of glory to another as we take these things seriously and we grapple with them. How we manage what goes on inside of us will determine how we come through our trials and the tribulations that we face. Where the Prince of Peace reigns, there will be peace.
And therefore, there is a necessity for all of us, specifically in two areas. Number one, time in the word and in prayer, allowing the word of God to inform our minds and minister to our hearts, bringing strength. That is how we put on this blessed breastplate of righteousness, by reminding ourselves of what Jesus has done for us, putting on the helmet of our salvation, that, that source of the all-sufficiency of Christ belongs to us, that we are saved, we are caught up in and with Him. And the second thing we need to give time and attention to, getting to know the person of the Holy Spirit and listening to His voice, how He breathes upon that Word, how He speaks, and how He, in the midst of our circumstances, ministers the perspective of God to us. Holy Spirit will be your greatest friend and your greatest companion. Folks, it's no good saying that, yes, I know Jesus is with me. He's going to never leave me. He's going to never forsake me. But yet we ignore the presence of his Holy Spirit. This is how he says, I am sending you another who is just like me. He will lead you into all truth. He will be your comforter, your advocate, your strength, your guide. It's no good casting our minds, continually making our decisions based just on what we see around us. Learning to listen to the voice of the Spirit. Learning to hear what He is saying. Learning to follow His lead. That's what Jesus did. You know, if you had to go and do a thesis on how much time Jesus spent trying to get away from people, you might be surprised. <laughs> we think Jesus came and He loved ministering and spending time with people. Jesus spent a lot of time trying to get away from people so that He could quieten His heart and be with the Lord and listen to His voice. That is why he says things like, I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what I hear my father saying. I haven't come down to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this was the mandate of his life. And it is why he was able to do what he was able to do and overcome all of these things, not by forcing himself on them as Peter and the disciples wanted him to do, but by yielding his life to the Lord finding perfect peace in the midst of all the trials that he faced and on the other end of them trusting fully that god would honor his word and glorify him and that's exactly what god did god will honor his word in your life dear friends there may be a journey of suffering ahead there may be trials and things to overcome i'm reminded of a portion of scripture and i'm going to close with this i wasn't intending to read it but I won't take long. It comes out of the book of 1 John. And he writes, 1 John 2, from 12 to 14. He says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his, you for his name's sake. In other words, new believers, new converts, God bless you. I write to you. Thank God your sins are forgiven. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. In other words, you have an experiential, relational knowledge of him. And then he says, I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. In other words, there was a battle you faced and challenges that you endured and you overcame them. He says again, I write to you, little children, because you have known the father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. There is this journey in our lives of growing from children, infants, praise God, we have the salvation, to working out that salvation and overcoming the challenges, both external but predominantly internal, 
to come to a place of experiential knowledge and relationship with God where our faith is mature and when we are able to endure and stand and shine brightly as lights and be different and be salt in this world because we have overcome the stuff that is going on in our lives circumstantially as well as in our lives internally. And I want to say to you tonight, know that you are blessed. Know that the sufficiency of Christ dwells in you. And if it doesn't feel that way, and if you're overwhelmed with things that are going on, that's a sure sign. Hey, go and spend some time in his presence. Talk to him about it. Pour your heart out to it. Share your frustrations with him. He's a big boy. He can take it. But then also allow him to speak his word in. Allow him to affirm you. Allow him to remind you of how precious you are to him and allow him to guide you in and through his word and by his spirit to the word that pertains you so that he may lift you up and put you in your place of strength in him, of overcoming victory in him in the midst of what you are facing. So that whether or not anything around you changes on the outside, you come out of that place a different person, victorious, at peace and full of power and grace in the Holy Spirit. And so, Father God, today, I thank you for everyone who has joined us in this message, in this time. I know that everyone has different challenges and there are difficult things to manage and to set in place. So many things that assail our hearts and minds every single day. But I pray that having heard this tonight, Father God, each heart would be wooed into those quiet moments with you. Those moments of reflection, of honesty, where we allow the light of your word and truth to shine on our hearts and to reveal the real attitudes and motives that reside and abide within. Lord God, the challenges, the fears, the anxieties. And Lord, I want to pray that as we journey these things through with you and wrestle them through with you, that you would give us the ability to see ourselves and our circumstances from your perspective. May we consider ourselves blessed with all sufficiency and everything we need because you, Lord Jesus, are our shepherd. I want to pray through the psalm with you. It's the well-known Psalm 23 as we close. Uh, as, and I'm going to use it as a prayer tonight because it so beautifully sums up everything we've spoken about tonight. Father, Lord Jesus, you are our shepherd. Therefore, we shall not want. You make us to lie down in green pastures. You light us, you, you lead us to waters. You restore our souls. You lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. For you are with us, and your rod and your staff, they comfort us. You prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. You anoint our heads with oil. Our cups run over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.au.
www.ca.org.au.